Welcome to the Great Trials Podcast bonus episode. Uh, as always, uh, I am your host, Steve Lowry, here with, with Yvonne Godfrey. And uh, um, I am, we're in different places this time. I'm down in, uh, down in Miami attending the AAJ conference. So we're going to see if we can make this work with um, uh, uh, being uh, quite a distance apart, Yvonne. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm in I'm in Savannah in the office working really hard while you're on the nobody can see you right now, but you're on the beach in Miami. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can hear the, all the oceans in the in the background. <laughs> <laughs> all the waves. Well, uh, Yvonne, on this bonus episode, uh, we have the return of one of our favorite guests uh, and who was on our very first episode, Tommy Malone. And um, and we are so excited to have Tommy uh, spend just a few minutes with us uh, doing this bonus episode. Tommy, how are you doing? Well, I'm hanging in there. I've had 56 rounds of chemo now. Wow. Today wasn't one of my best days, but I'm uh, perked up to do this interview. Man, well, I, 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 I'm so sorry you're going through that, Tommy, but uh, but we really love having you on, and, uh, and it's just a, a great honor for us to be able to, to spend a few minutes with you. Well, thank you. So, Tommy, what I thought we would talk about uh, today, you know, and we, we've done uh, some episodes with you and Adam, but today I thought would be uh, really interesting to talk about your early career um, because uh, you, you know, obviously now you're the, the great Tommy Malone that we all know has had this just tremendously successful career and had, you know, some great courtroom victories. But it didn't always start out that way, or it didn't always, it, it didn't start out that way for you. Um, and so I thought we would have, what I thought the theme for this episode would be, would be perseverance. And, uh, and I'd like to talk to you about uh, basically your uh, early career when you started taking on personal injury lawsuits and medical malpractice lawsuits uh, down in Albany. Um, and you know, just to be uh, frank about it, didn't have, uh, didn't have the grace of success early on and, and how you stuck with it. Well, it wasn't great success. It was no success <laughs> right. early on. And it just wasn't right. Yeah. You know, my sense of right and wrong was basically slapped in the face. And um, uh, Helen Jennings Black, who was one of my first uh, personal injury clients, quite frankly, she and her husband, and her husband went on to be uh, president of Albany State College, where they invited me to serve on the board of trustees, and I was delighted to do that. But they had a son that was killed uh, by the top salesman of the Cadillac dealership when he was taking a shortcut through the Albany State Ca College campus uh, to go home to his subdivision out in Radium Springs, a prominent white subdivision in South uh, Darty County. And uh, he put down over 300 feet of skid marks wide shoulders, straight road, no hill, and ran over the child without blowing his horn or turning to the right or left. And um, they came to me to represent him. And <coughs> recently she called me and told me that she and her husband really knew they had no chance of winning, but they were just so pleased that a white lawyer would represent them against a powerful member of the white power establishment uh, in Albany. And we tried that case and to my 
shock and dismay lost it. And uh, that was that was my first awakening about racial prejudice. And more importantly, I think, for the practice of law, it, it awakened my mind to the value of a full and complete voir dire, which was contrary to what every lawyer in South Georgia would, was telling me. They were telling me you don't put the jurors on trial by asking them a lot of questions because they'll get offended and they'd never vote for you. But uh, you could get copies of the jury list uh, two or three days before trial and you could go out and do your own investigation. And that's the way people did that rather than asking questions to them under oath. Well, after I lost that case and then I lost my trial in the uh, Bitterman case, which was a medical malpractice case for a Jewish girl against a doctor that sang in the choir at the Methodist church, I realized what the hell you can't lose any worse than losing. Right. So that's, when, <laughs> that's when I really started doing thorough voir dire. And that's when some breakthroughs started happening. So, yeah. so the secret to my success was realizing to not follow the rules as practiced by lawyers in South Georgia and probably all over the state at the time when it came to Bordeaux. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure as many of our listeners know, Tommy, you have written a, a book on, on Vordire and, um, and, you know, really just become sort of a leading light, uh, you know, in, in how to conduct uh, Vordire, especially uh, in Georgia. And, um, uh, you know, it's, I, you write about this in the, or it's written about you in the book, uh, and I should tell everybody, uh, Tommy Malone, Trial Lawyer. Um, it's a great book, great read. Um, you should go out and get it. Uh, but you write in there that when you had that the uh, Jennings case, that when you walked into the courtroom, your veneer panel um, only had two African Americans on it, and uh, Doherty County is a majority African American county, isn't it? It is today. Okay. And it was about fifty-fifty then, but they were marching in the streets in '64 and '65. I think Martin Luther King was put in jail in 64 in Albany for leading the demonstrations. And um, uh, they, they had not yet gotten the right to vote. That was what it was all about. And they were giving them tests and that sort of thing. And you had to be registered to vote in order to get on the jury list. And then the jury had uh, list had, <coughs> they had jury commissioners that went over the list and they selected who would be in the box, if you will. And there's one other brief story I should tell you that my father told me about. And he said it didn't apply to Albany. Now, I suspect it probably did, but he said it didn't. Uh, the judge would reach in the box in open court to draw out the names of the jurors, hand them to the clerk, and the clerk would publish them. Then everybody would know everything was wide open and uh, wasn't any chance, you know, for any foolishness to go on. The only thing was the blacks were on rough paper and the whites were on slick paper. So if it was getting out of balance, the judge was able to put it back in balance by his sense of touch. Right. 
Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just some of the things you hear about happening uh, uh, at those times. I mean, obviously disturbing. Um, but, um, well, Tommy, tell us, you know, at the time that you were starting out, uh, the sort of practice of me medical malpractice cases, uh, there wasn't much to that practice in Georgia, uh, and especially down in, in Albany or in Doherty County. How did you uh, decide or, you know, start becoming, a, a, you know, a lawyer who focuses on medical malpractice uh, at a time when nobody was really doing those? Well, that's why the guiding hand is an appropriate title that um, Vince Coppola gave to the biography he wrote about me. I didn't write that. That's a biography, not an autobiography. Right, right. Vince and <coughs> I was literally tricked into handling my first medical negligence case. The top trial lawyer in Albany named Taxi Smith, who had been the mayor and was quite a colorful character. He called me up, said, Tommy, I want you to come by. I've got a case I want to associate you on. And so I go by to see him and he gives me the file, which has about two pieces of paper in it. And it's the Bitterman case. And he said, I want you to file a lawsuit against this Dr. Johnson for giving this sulfur drug to this girl who's had this terrible reaction, she's paralyzed. And uh, I said, okay. I'll be glad to work with you. So the Civil Practice Act was passed in 65, and it hadn't found its way to most lawyers in South Georgia. By that time, I graduated in 66, so I was familiar with it. I did this very diligent complaint and interrogatories and discovery that I attached to the complaint and carried it over for him to look at. He said, wow, I'm really impressed with this, Tommy. You've done a magnificent job. There's only one change I want you to make. I said, what's that, Mr. Smith? He said, take my name off of it. And I said, well, you know, I couldn't possibly try a case like this. You know, I'm, I'm just getting started. And um, he said, don't worry about that. File it. They'll pay us $100,000 and we'll never have to worry about it. So I said, yes, sir. So I filed it, and uh, of course they didn't pay the hundred thousand dollars, and uh, it's a long story about it. But it ultimately resulted in me losing the case, the primary case in in uh, Darty Superior Court, when the preachers of the Baptist, Presbyterian, and Methodist churches came to court and patted the doctor on the back and nodded to the members of their congregation on the jury and uh, we lost the case behind the rail not in front of the rail and as exemplified by one of the jurors after i cried myself to sleep many nights i finally got up the courage to go back to the office and as i was walking across the street our office was over the you save it drug store um, two or two and a half pine avenue right across from the courthouse i hear this voice tommy tommy and it's uh, Nick Powell. And uh, he weighs me down. I just stand there and wait for him. He said, man, I want to tell you how good it makes me feel to know there's a lawyer of your talent, you know, and your intellect that can take on the power structure in Albany and kick ass like you did. I said, Nick, there's something terribly wrong with this conversation. 
you were on the jury and we lost. He said, oh, but if you had been anywhere other than Albany, you'd have won. And that struck me so hard that I then remembered that I had listened to some records, uh, 33 and a third records upstairs in the Mercer Library uh, with Melvin Belli, world-famous lawyer, uh, lecturing about cases he had done. I guess that was an early podcast. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the second case where I did the complete voir dire, and I asked a critical question. I said, "How many of y'all know Dr. Roger Palmer?" Nobody did. How many of y'all know Dr. Tom Johnson? Everybody did. I said, "Well, assume they both take the stand and testify in this case, and they're diametrically opposed." but equally qualified, how many of y'all would tend to prefer the testimony you know now, you tend to prefer the testimony of a doctor you know over a doctor you don't know? And I think it was 42 jurors, I excuse for cause, who were saying they'd have to go with a doctor they knew over one they didn't know. And back then they went out and subpoenaed new jurors on the street. And so we finally got 12 after a very thorough voir dire. And the judge said, Tommy, we need to see you back here in my office. So I go back to the office. And the defense lawyer says, we want to settle this case. And it tells you something really remarkable. After years of intensive medical care, total medical bills were 38,000. Right. They'd be over 6 million today. Yeah. And, um, they said, we want to settle this case with you. <coughs> I said, well, I'm interested. They said, well, we'll pay you $10,000. Well, I thought the top I could hope for would be 38. And I'd obviously impressed them with the jury we had because they knew they didn't control them. So I said, to talk to the clients, and I said, okay, we'll take the 10000 And they had threatened to sue me for talking to the media about the case during its pendency. And I knew the uh, the rules, and I only referred to what was in the pleadings and was part of the part of public record. But anyway, um, they said, "Well, do you mind if we knock one dollar off?" And I said, "One dollar? No, yeah, knock off a dollar. We'll take the nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine." And so the next Monday, on the front page of the Albany Herald the headline to the story read medical malpractice case Bitterman v. Johnson settled in Darty Superior Court for less than $10,000. Mm. Yeah. So I went to California and associated Melvin Belli realizing what prejudice had to do, you know, with the outcome of lawsuits. And my father had convinced me that it didn't have anything to do with it until I got kicked around enough to realize it did. Right. So uh, I said, if I can get a world famous lawyer like Melvin Belli to come to Albany, Georgia, and with me in federal court, represent a local girl, and I would say black, white, Jewish, Christian, whatever, against a New Jersey drug company, we'd fight the war of Northern aggression all over again. <laughs> 
and and we settled that case back then for I think it was six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which today would be the equivalent of sixty five million. Whew. Wow! I mean, the, the, I set the record in many surrounding counties at twenty thousand and twenty five thousand, because back then you didn't sue your neighbor. Right. You know, so that was Mel Bella told me, he said, Tommy, I want you to know you're the best lawyer I've ever been in the courtroom with on either side. And I said, Wow, Mel, thank you very much. And I believed him and that gave me the stamina, if you will, courage to take on the cases that I took on. But I now realize he probably said that to a lot of people. I'm just one that believed him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it really shows you but, what, you know, somebody giving you some confidence can, especially when you're young, especially a lawyer like Melvin Belli saying that to you. Oh, yeah. Really just, yeah. It, it and and he, was, he was somewhere between uncle and daddy to me. Right. I had a bedroom in his house uh, out in San Francisco. You could look out the window and see the um, uh, island you know, where the prison was, blanking on the name of it now. But Alcatraz? Alcatraz, Alcatraz. And they called it the Malone Bedroom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but we had, we had quite a time. But I'll, I'll mention something else along this line. Uh, there was a fellow named McCraney in Atlanta with Ross Finch and McCraney. He handled medical negligence cases, and I handled medical negligence cases. We were the only two lawyers in the state that would handle them back in the 60s and maybe even to the early 70s. And I got a call from a lawyer one time. I have no idea who it was now. But he said, I want to send you a medical malpractice case. It's a really good case. And I want to know, what is your referral arrangement? And I said, well, I'll tell you. You're going to send me a case. Nobody's won a medical negligence case before a jury in anywhere in South Georgia. And I'm going to spend a lot of money on it. And you want to know how much money I'm going to give you if I were to just happen to win. Tell you what, my referral arrangement is zero to the referring lawyers, but a promise I'll do the best job I can for the clients. And what you need to do is you call around and see if you can find anybody else for any amount that will handle this case. And when you get through calling around, call me back, and I'll be glad to talk to you about handling the case. And after about a month, he called me back and said, you were right. Wasn't anybody that would take it. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, one of the, the, one of the quotes in the book, Tommy, uh, said that uh, you spent a lot of time taking good cases and losing them. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, just from um, the standpoint of, you know, when you know you have these good cases and, and you know, for one reason or another, they're, they're not working out. How do you, how do you stick with it? How do you, you know, uh, you know, not decide. Well, the, way I, the way I did it, the way I did it was a compelling sense of right and wrong and justice. And I tried cases. I just wanted to be in the courtroom trying cases. And I had a big criminal, uh, defense practice and I handled divorces and I even, uh, closed some loans and stuff like that. You know, I had a totally general practice, but when a, a parent takes their child to the doctor right after Christmas and says, 
our two-year-old was on the floor playing with things and all of a sudden started coughing and we think she swallowed something that's in her throat. This was down in Moultrie, Georgia. And he looks in, he said, no, don't worry about it. Here's some cough syrup and go home. Well, she kept coughing and kept coughing and kept coughing until she was carried to the emergency room some six to eight months later. And there they did a, um, an X-ray of her chest and it happened to include her throat and there was a copper penny in her throat that had been there all that time. <laughs> and the local ENT that came to the emergency room and removed the penny, he agreed to testify for me. And so I go to Moultrie and when you think about it, the defense lawyer is a member of the board of directors of the local bank and their farmers on the jury and people that have loans. And so they got to go against their banker's lawyer and against the only board certified pediatrician in the town to find in my favor. So I lost that case, but it was the right case to try. And another quick example in Thomasville, I tried a case uh, for a young man that had a third degree burn on the back of his calf where the orthopedic doctors had put a cast on and the cast blistered him. And that's back when they did plaster Paris and it goes through a cooking process, a cooling and heat, heating process. And I sued the manufacturer of the plaster of Paris and I sued the doctor. And my argument was it was either good plaster of Paris put on poorly or it was bad plaster of Paris put on correctly. And you got to find against one or the other. And I lost that case. So yeah. in 1984, I think it was, I tried that case in Atlanta against Roy Barnes and Bob Tanner represented the doctor. And um, it was one of the, not the weaker, but it wasn't one of my stronger cases on liability. And we won and got a $500,000 verdict. And I didn't have but 20 minutes for a summation. And I ran out of time and didn't have any time to talk about damages. And some of the jurors came up to me later and said, they hope I was satisfied with the 500,000, but they didn't know what, what to give. But, but they knew they were going to vote in my favor. And um, it suddenly struck me. Now, this is in the 80s. I hadn't been practicing quite 20 years. But I said, you know, there must be something different about suing a butcher in a metropolitan area where there are a lot of butchers to choose from and suing the only butcher in a town of 12,000. Right. So that's when I gravitated out of Albany later to return to South Georgia and do well all around. But while I was gone, there were more and more African-Americans and poor people who were getting on the jury than there were when I was originally, you know, suing the prominent member of the community who was a medical practitioner. Right. <clears throat> so, so it was just, it was my perseverance, but equally as important was the changing of the times. Yeah. 
And, and so, so Tommy, you, you know, you uh, eventually did move to uh, the Atlanta area. And is that when the, the, the turn started to happen uh, with your career because you had moved to a bigger city where, like you said, uh, you know, um, you, there's, there may be multiple doctors there and, it, and there's a choice where people can go. And so they don't, they don't have, you know, quite the concern of uh, holding a doctor responsible when he makes a mistake as they do in a small town. Well, certainly there was a tremendous change by virtue of me moving to Atlanta. But in about 1982, I tried a case in Macon where I got, I think, the second million dollar verdict in the state. And, and it's hard for people today to realize in the early 80s, there were no million dollar verdicts. Right. You know, so uh, in 1995, I was able to obtain for my client a $45 million verdict where the defense had highest offer was 750,000, but I um, got a $45 million verdict and that's what really uh, caused my career to take off. And, um, and being married to Debbie, she was always there supporting me. Right. Right. That's great. Um, so, so Tommy and, uh, um, if you were talking to some younger lawyers who are starting out and maybe having difficulties in the courtroom and, and uh, not having much success, what, what would you say to them? Well, the first thing I do is ask them, had they read my board eye book? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and did they realize how important it was to case selection? Yeah. You know, the lawyer has to believe in his client. And, and the cause that he undertakes, he or she undertakes. And then it's communication with the jury. You don't talk at them, you talk to them yeah. or communicate with them. And so if you select the right cases, you do a decent job on voir dire. And, and, and I've, I've uh, did voir dire from the aspect of getting rid of the bad jurors, if I could work on getting a good juror, I'm probably not near as good as other lawyers around the country in getting a good juror on as I am in making sure all the bad ones are off. Yeah. So if I get the bad ones off and I have a good case and I communicate well and, and, and credibility, if there's one word about successful practice of law, it would be credibility. Yeah. So um, that's what I would tell them. Stick with it. Be careful about the cases you select and try as many cases as you can. And read Tommy's book. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I um, need to talk to him. That's right. No, I, I mean, those things that you've said are so important. I've uh, talked to, you know, our uh, younger lawyers that uh, work in our firm about, you know, I mean, credibility is just so, uh, so important uh, that, you know, uh, if you lose credibility in front of the jury, I mean, you're as good as done. Um, and so, you know, that's the number one thing to be protected. But uh, and that, uh, that, you know, you're in this together with your jury, not that you're um, talking at them, you're, uh, you're, you're working on this together to get to the, the right solution, which is hopefully a verdict in your client's favor. That's right. And I'll tell you one more thing. It's uh, about cross-examination. 
I read the depositions and I think a lot and I prepare for cross-examination, but I really am not prepared for cross-examination until I hear the direct in the courtroom. And that's what I focus on, what that witness has said in the courtroom to those jurors. And then I stand up and pick holes in that. Yeah. Or destroy him or her best I can. Right, right. Well, it's so great to hear your perspective, Tommy, because I think it's hard, especially for newer lawyers, if you're if you're if you're working for somebody else or, you know, this kind of your you're getting a handle on handling these cases that are really important for your clients and it's a new situation for you to be in. It's really scary and you don't want to mess up even though um, through, through messing up, through mistakes um, is how you can learn a lot. But, you know, to find that strength to sort of stick with it and, and work through the mistakes is something that I think is hard and takes a lot of courage. And you've clearly done that in your career. And, and we just really appreciate you sharing your perspective on that because it's really amazing. Well, and if I had been an associate in somebody else's office and was second chair and working on the cases in the courtroom, I never would have been able to truly void our juror because it just right. wasn't done. Right. You know, so you have to follow your own guiding hand, if you will. Yeah. So, I mean, you get, you got to trust yourself, trust your instincts. Right. Well, right. And, and, and I should say, you know, you, you said that you um, didn't, uh, start out working for somebody else. And that was because your father, who was a, uh, at the time was a judge, but he got appointed to statewide office. And, and I think what, uh, what has been said was that you were, I think, trying to get a clerkship with the judge, but then your, your father said, no, you got to come home and run the law practice. And so you, he basically threw you into the fire and started you running the law practice right from the beginning. Is that right? Uh, that, that is generally right. However, he was the solicitor of the state court of Doherty County and he wasn't the judge but he could have been the judge the first judge we got but the governor asked him to come be the director of the Game and Fish Commission and he took that over and he was up there as director of the Game and Fish Commission when I came to Albany to practice and so I was able to practice without his direct supervision at least until January or February when he came back and he was so upset, if you will, or depressed over not being able to stay on as director of the Game and Fish Commission. And that's a long political story, but um, uh, he kind of let me do what I wanted to do, which was good for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tommy, this has been great. I mean, uh, uh, just a fantastic um, bonus episode and we really appreciate your time and and um, you know as Yvonne was saying we just really thank you for everything you've done and and you know as uh, you know lawyers who are who are younger uh, we appreciate being able to uh, stand on the shoulders of giants like you who really paved the way <laughs> for us so uh, so thank you so much for your time well, well there's there, you're certainly welcome there's no great, greater reward than giving back and if I can make a difference in the talents and the abilities of trial lawyers, even to a little bit, look at all the many lives that I affect, all the yeah. people they represent. 
So I am just delighted to help y'all anytime I can. And I'm so proud of y'all for doing these podcasts. Uh, thank you, Tommy. That, that really means a lot. Well, this has been the uh, the Great Trials Podcast bonus episode with Tommy Malone. And, uh, and uh, Tommy, we really appreciate it. If you want to read more about Tommy, you can get uh, Tommy Malone Trial Lawyer. You can also go on to the, the Malone Law uh, website and read about both Tommy and Adam, uh, Tommy's son, who is also a fantastic trial lawyer. Tommy, thank you so much. You're certainly welcome. Y'all have a great day. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks, Tommy. Bye-bye. You're welcome, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's going to be hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining and a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website. Yeah, so check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials Podcast or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at greattrialspodcast.com. Note if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. Right, exactly. <laughs> we only need a positive commentary. Yeah, we're fragile. Yeah. Um, you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say, um, our podcast is not available for review. We, we also want to thank uh, the people behind the scenes. Uh, one is Taras Misher, who is our uh, uh, podcast extraordinaire. Uh, he is from Podcast on the Go. And Allison Hirsch uh, from Capricorn Communications. She is a magician when it comes to putting these shows together and getting them scheduled. And this has been the Great Trials Podcast, and we appreciate your time, and hope you'll listen again. Thank you for listening.